0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro.
1: For those of you who are listening on the podcast, you've missed a fascinating discussion about maple syrup, cats, ketniot, and food that... Would be consumed in that way. I'll leave it to you to put those together in a jumble um, to see if you can put that together in any meaningful way. Uh, Shabbat shalom, chag sameach.
2: All of the above.
1: Yes. Um, hope folks are doing well. Uh, Vaikra continues to be. Right. are <laughs> my shots. How, how are you feeling about Vaikra these days?
2: Well, I made I made a joke to a bunch of. Ziegler students yesterday when I was asking them if they would like to join me next week that, um, that we, we are trying to find verses that we find interesting or that people don't often talk about. And the joke that I made was, which seems to be most of Vayikra.
1: Most of Vayikra. <laughs> Although, Ilan, I, I, I was wondering if you were boycotting all of That's Vayikra.
2: I of a sentence, but oh then-
1: mm, Oh, mm, sorry. Oh, sorry. I stepped on your punchline. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry.
2: Um, but then the comment back was that next week we don't read from Vaikra. There you go. It's Pesach, and we're reading the splitting of the sea. So during class, we're going to get to talk about the splitting of the sea. Okay, now Elon can speak.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing to say. I mean, it is it is a book entirely, uh, and it's 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 not particularly. If it was gorier, um, you know, more explicit. Um, right. more entrails it would pique interest and it, it, like if the sexual parts or the sexual prohibition parts were more graphic perhaps that would spice it up a little bit but yeah
2: you,
1: you want the NC-17 <laughs> the, 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 the director's cut
2: what was that show that everyone was watching for a long time that was like super gory and super sexual Game uh, of Thrones. Game of Thrones I just couldn't think of it yeah thank you it's like the Game of Thrones version of Leviticus. Oh.
1: <laughs> it's Vayikra. Okay. It's Vayikra. Do 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 tell, tell your students that, Rabbi Shas. They can they can write their own version of
2: it. Exactly, exactly. I will. Thank goodness I teach Mishnah, so I don't have to talk about Leviticus. Um Okay. Rabbi Shapiro, why don't you get us started? I
1: that was me getting us started. Uh okay. <clears throat> That was also Rabbi Schatz informing y'all I will not be here next week because it is... Well, I'm taking the holiday off, and it's also my birthday on Friday. But I'm very excited. I'm going to LACMA for my birthday. I've been to a museum and over again. Very excited. Okay. That was the Matt Shapiro update. Uh, we should probably talk about the tour a little bit since it is a Parsha class. Right, Rabbi Schatz?
2: That would be awesome. Thank is you.
1: that is that helpful?
2: It is helpful, yeah.
1: Okay, good. Um. We're going to be picking up right at the beginning of the parsha, parsha tzav, um, and also not as last week, not a ton of preamble. Both, like we're not, we're not really catching up in narrative or anything, and and we're also going to be picking up pretty much at the beginning of the chapter. Um, so God speaks to Moshe, saying, "Command Aaron and his sons, thus." Um, Zot Torah Ta'ola. I'll just specifically point out I saw a comment in the time saying how, um, laying out the hypothesis that basically the first few Prakim of Va'ikra are specifically for the people. I was referring this to a, a little bit last week when i was talking about how veggra is sometimes referred to as torat kohanim um, but it does seem like the first few chapters are for like are, are for everybody right different different categories that might be useful for all but that these next few chapters seem to be laying out in more detail the rituals that the priests themselves would would be doing right when you see this is the ritual of the burnt offering seems specifically directed to Aaron and his sons right the 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 kohanim the Um, so, and, and verse two is also intimating what we're going to be getting to burnt offering shall remain where it was burned all night while the fire is kept going upon it. Um, telling us about what the priest should do. They should be dressed all fancy, like in their garments, in their linen breeches, take the ashes, place them on the altar, uh, and then quick, quick costume change, uh, to take the ashes outside the camp. Different different levels of purity, essentially. I like
2: thinking okay. of this as a costume
1: change. Though. It is well, it's a, it's a, it's a you know it's a performative ritual.
2: No, for sure. But I was just thinking of like a green room that you have to go into. to, to We do should
1: it. start when we rabbi shots when we come back to do services in person. We should start doing costume changes during services.
2: <laughs> I feel I feel like that wouldn't be something that people would think was bizarre for you to do. If I started doing it, maybe, but. I think they could imagine you coming in with different costumes throughout a service right.
1: you can start working on that all right and here are the two verses we're gonna be looking at we're looking at chapter six verses five and six there we go hello the ish back bow okay so this fire that's upon the altar uh like the, the fire that is on the altar that you should light it should not go out and the co and the, and the priest should burn upon it the wood um like babokir babokir and and actually I think we we stumbled across this phrase last week as well, like each and every morning the holan should lay the offering upon it the heallah and he should. Um, smoke, smoke, smokify the the shlami, like the the chel of the fat of the of the sh, uh, shlamim offering the offering of well being, mm-hmm. um, and now now a phrase that you guys have probably heard before: Eish Tamid, to Kad Al Lo Tichba. That there should be this it's translated here as perpetual, it's eternal flame fire should be uh, kept burning on the altar, and it should not go out that's what we're working with this this week folks welcome to Vaikra. um i'll turn it over to rabbi shouts for kushio.
2: Kushio. Rabbi Shantz.
1: There there very kushio
2: thank you when you set it up does anybody have any kushio on these two verses yeah jay
1: is this where the near to me idea of the eternal life comes in
2: Great. So it actually came in earlier in Exodus, um, but this is where it comes in again. <laughs> um, so when we were originally talking about the building of the Mishkan, we we saw them uh, talk about putting in an eternal flame. But this is where we kind of see it in use uh, as opposed to just being built. It's now being um, explained as to how it would be utilized in the Mishkan. Great question. Do I see another hand? Oh, yeah, Elon.
1: Yeah. So we uh, we know how, but there is no explanation as to why it is necessary to have the fire uh, to be perpetual.
2: Great. Great. Exactly. Any other Cusioite, whether on a, a word or a concept? Yeah, Rebecca.
3: I'm I'm a little confused with the word cat. What that means in this case, because, well, actually, I'm just confused about that word. And it does repeat, but it's it, there's both tukad and zber, so I'm not quite sure. And there's not and there's be. so I don't I don't know what that word means. I guess in this context, right? It, will Rabbit? be lit, and if it's lit, then it's lit once. Then why is it not? You know, why is that repeated?
2: Great. Yeah. So the repetition is very interesting to say that it's a perpetual fire that won't go out. Right. Those are two. We we know that if it's perpetual, that means it's not going to go out. So what does that mean? Um, Rabbi Shapiro can actually um, highlight the word and we can see how Safaria translates. I just can't do it because it's your screen. Um,
1: see, when I'm screen sharing and I try to unmute myself, that's when uh, things go haywire Tukad. Now what I do. Oh, there we go.
2: Um, so it seems to be, can you, uh, can you just go like a little bit to the left so that we can see the whole, sorry, to the right, I guess. <laughs> so we can see the whole verse. Yeah. Um, so it would be a fire that is forever, is burning on the Mizbeach, on the altar, and it's not going out. Um, and then if you're looking at verse five, it's that the fire on the altar is burning on it and it doesn't go out. <laughs>
1: uh, There's definitely some repetitive redundancy of repeating.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, great question. I just wanted you to be able to see the the translation of how they were translating it. But it does seem to be saying kind of the same thing with different words three different times. Yeah, Denise.
0: Um. So I'm just wondering if this is another one of those like ancient world things, because in, in Rome, they had um, in the forum that one of the temples was for fire and they had to have perpetual fire. And that was the whole mission of the Vestal Virgins. There was like a whole bunch of them. And all they did was guard the fire. And there always had to be a flame. And when it rained, no matter what, there always had to be a flame. Ah, interesting. Denise? Yeah, I wasn't, I mean, that's it. It was just like, it just kind of stuck out in my mind. I thought, wow, I wonder if, if there's like some big picture connection about fire or something.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating. I had no idea that that was a thing. Um, But yes, it seems as though, um, obviously this was around before um, the, experience I guess that you're that you're sharing with us um but it's possible that that came from this or that the idea that we still hold on to this as a part of our own sanctuaries comes from um the more quote modern although it's obviously not modern um rendition of this It's very very it's fascinating I had never heard that before but I love the connection Joanna Joanna yeah
3: sorry I was having trouble unmuting um you know, if you were to ask me, like, to look away from the text and say these verses in my own words, yeah. my inclination would be to emphasize the person and start with the person. So the priest has to feed wood to the fire. And then if I had something else to explain about the fire, that would follow. Um so the fact that it starts with the fire makes it, in addition to the rep- all the repetition about the fire, but the fact that this starts with the fire makes it feel like the fire is so primary to this. Um, and why is that so? Hmm.
2: Interesting. So there's not a character kind of doing the action, rather we're focusing on the fire. Great. Great. It was interesting, a few minutes ago, Rabbi Shafir and I were talking about this, and Uh, he mentioned that he focused on the fire, which I definitely didn't. Uh, and, uh, and so even when we are reading through it to see the different things that we pick up on as well, um, are very interesting. So are there any other cushy before I turn it over to Rabbi Shapiro to talk to us about the fire? (laughs) Okay. Rabbi Shapiro, go ahead. What a great segue that we didn't even know was going to happen.
1: Well, I will say in hearing the at, the one thing that popped up to me is actually the one thing that I saw in terms of where, were you going to talk about the piece from the Urushami about the Tamid? Were you going to take that?
2: Uh, I don't think
1: I have that. Okay, cool. So uh, I'll. Okay. Um, I, a lot of the stuff, like Rabbi Shatz was setting up, yes, is about the fire, but it is definitely in the more metaphorical construct of what fire is and how it works within our tradition. Like, it's not shot. Like, I I wouldn't call it interpretations of the psukim that are working with, like, the plain, straightforward meaning of the text. I would say there they are more um, interpretations that take the idea of fire, which, you know, you can think about fire burning bush, fire as the pillar of fire that walked with us through the desert, fire as a key component of revelation, right? Like there's all sorts of ways in which fire as a symbol shows up in the Exodus narrative, like leading us up to this moment. And and a lot of them play with that idea. Um, But I did stumble across an interesting piece from, from like a little phrase from the Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, which you don't you don't often hear from. So if you were hoping to hear a little piece from the Yerushalmi this morning, check that off your Jewish textual bingo card that I know all of you keep handy. Um I know Rabbi Schatz does. It's very There's
2: deep. a really good drosh in that.
1: A Jewish textual bingo card?
2: Well, just the idea of every person this is gonna take us way off topic. Good. But- person in their lives from the time of I guess bar mitzvah would be a better way of setting up having some kind of metaphorical Jewish bingo card that you're constantly trying to fill your card with all these different experiences and learnings and anyway continue I'm
1: that's a great idea you should like be the director of youth learning and engagement or something that would be really great you'd be very good at that job Here, the current guy gets distracted very easily. Um, there's a little piece from Yerushalmi that says Tamid Afilu B'Shabat, Tamid Afilu Bituma." Um, that talks about how, riffing on this idea that if I'll, I'll bring the verses back up for a second, because if you if you look at the verses, my battery is running low. Thank you, computer that as literal and not metaphorical um, th- this idea that if you if you look at the way the verses are set up or verse 6 rather if you take out Tamid it would make a little more sense right ish to kat right you should light a fire on the altar and you should make sure it doesn't go out that would seem to connote permanence but there's this this seemingly extraneous word, her ish tamid word here. So ish tamid. So, so what would that word be doing here? And the Yerushalmi goes to the next level and says, even if it's Shabbat, right, even you would, you would think of course, cause you're not supposed to have fire on Shabbat, but tamid stresses that yes, even on Shabbat, you should have it. And tamid afilu Bituma, which is saying that, um, even even if there's impurity present, you don't put the kibosh on the whole deal, like you might think you would do when it comes to the sacrificial service, tuma, often a deal breaker. Um, but so the Tamid stresses even on Shabbat and even if there's impurity. And I saw a really lovely comment building on that further, talking about how Shabbat and Tuma are referring to kind of two categories of people um, who should still be in place. So this idea of the the like the, the Shabbat person right someone who who digs on the the Jewish thing real real good you know someone who delights in Judaism and godliness this person might think think I'm okay I don't need this I'm good to go no that person should still keep that that metaphorical fire so I guess here we are now working into fire as metaphor but that person should keep their fire going and the tum'ah so too, right? Like just because you might have slipped up, just because you might be disconnected, you still have the obligation to keep the fire going. You don't, you don't get to say, I messed up, I'm lost, too late for me. No, you still have to keep that fire going. So so I re- I like that idea a lot in terms of just pulling all of that out from that one word of Tamid. Whoever you are, you think you've got it set you think you've slipped up you still have the obligation to to keep to keep that that ish going um consistently so i i, I really like that as obvi- obviously it's it you you wouldn't get that just reading the verse um straight through necessarily but i like that idea of tamid being sort of extrapolated out in each of those two directions right you're neither too good for it nor are you too bad for it you got to keep it going either way, and I th- and I think that that's a nice idea. Um, Rabbi Sean, I guess you did Would you you
2: not want, that that wasn't a, That wasn't the H piece that you wanted to do.
1: Do you? Want no, to- but but I mean, I, I was you didn't you didn't see that your You piece? I thought it was nice. Um, but I I mean I can keep going on the fire piece, but I'm
2: not going to touch on the fire. So I think if we're going to do fire, we should do it first.
1: Do fire. Well. It's good it's a good idea not to touch fire. Um when we were light- <laughs> when we were lighting <laughs> when we were burning the chametz this morning, we have a little um fire pit. It was one of the things that Sarah Bach was like, we can do this all the time. We gonna- we've done like, you know, twice. So we have a little mini fire pit. And Rafi kept wanting to like go up and like touch shades of Moshe and the burning embers amidst the jewels, if you will. We did not let him touch the fire though. He's, he's, he's smart. Like rabbi, he doesn't want to touch the fire. Um, I I saw, I mean, it's, it's hard to pull just one because I saw a lot of pieces that I liked about this idea um, of, of working with the fire with metaphor, but I'll, I'll, I'll do, Oh, I'll do one and a half um, the half is just working with this idea. It went very far afield. It's a lot of steps to get there, but just particularly resonant for um, for the season in terms of talking about and the importance of bringing that, right? You don't look, you don't do it by sunlight. You don't do it by moonlight. You don't do it by, but you do it by this like little candle and seeking out the chametz. Rabbi Shots actually gave um, a beautiful piece um, right. You were you were you were adjacent to that when you were talking yesterday morning um, in the Sium in terms of of our obligation to like really seek out and find each and every bit of Hametz and sort of the, the inverse of that a little bit in terms of how we do that. We do that with a flame. Um, and it just that that's a really lovely idea when we think about like what fire does. Which which is not like the Ishtamid in some ways Dafka the opposite because it's for a very specific context, but seasonally uh, appropriate and thinking about that.
2: And it does come up in Mishnah Psachim, actually. This Ishtamid comes up. Um Susan just moved <laughs> to my office.
1: Oh hi Susan.
2: Hi everybody.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Bye, Susan, I'm would you happy. like w- <laughs> Susan, yes, would you I'm like happy. to teach something?
3: No, not today, thank you. But- <laughs> Thank you though. That's very
0: You know,
1: great. I'm not gonna be on next week. Maybe you could teach next week's class with Rabbi Schatz.
2: Okay, well, you know, I'm gonna discuss it with the rabbi.
1: <laughs> okay. The people
2: Sounds on the great. podcast probably think we are nuts. Okay. So in no no
1: no more today than any other day though.
2: Not half as nuts as tomorrow. Okay, and not half as nuts as tomorrow, says my trusty sidekick. Okay. Um but in oh. Mishnah Psachim, there they actually do talk about uh, this particular use of the of the flame which is really interesting because it's not it's not in the ways that you would in the way sorry that you would expect it to be based on um but it talks about um i'm trying to just read the part where it's talking about uh anyway it it we can get to this later if people want to see it. It's in Mishnah Psachim 5. 1. It, um But the the way, in which was actually the part of the Mishnah that I read for the siyum, it is incredibly boring. Um, but it talks about how this fire is used for the sacrifice, um, for the paschal sacrifice. Go ahead. You can keep going.
1: Um, my, my prakim of Mishnah Psachim were also not exactly... Riveting reading, although it did start out with an extremely gross description of how you should shish kebab your, your paschal sacrifice that talked about whether the entrail, Ilan, this is actually perfect for you. It talked about whether the entrails need to be inside or outside your offering. So I, I commend to you. And really only you, um, the very beginning of, of, uh, chapter seven, Mishnah Psachim, for, if you want to gross Annie out, uh, before, before you guys get started to monetize. Right. Yeah. I'll let her yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Always, always happy to provide, um, uh, something for the reading list. Um, the, the Svat, I mean, the Gera Rebbe has, has a really, um beautiful piece on this. Again, I, I would not describe it in any way, shape, or form as the shot of this of these verses. Um, but he works with the idea um, of the ishtamid in a really beautiful way, working with it, yes, as a metaphor. Um, it's a much longer piece, but I'll 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 bring it down to just two sentences that I think encapsulate it nicely. He says, in the soul of every person there lies a hidden point that is a flame with the love of God, a fire that cannot be put out, right? So this idea, which which you'll see woven through different Hasidic texts, that there is that that like internal point that that each one of us has, and and we've talked in here before about
2: and also used for berikat chametz. Yeah,
1: okay. We're we're, we're we're searching for chametz everywhere, um, as it were. Um, we've talked in here a little bit about how democratic or not Hasidic texts can sometimes be, um, and this this is is very much so, right? He he doesn't differentiate between tzaddikim and non tzaddikim He says very clearly, this is something that every person has that that there is that um there's that that and it might just be a little point right but it's 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 there for everyone that that is eternal and he and he takes it to a really nice point from there he says even though um it may not be put out here refers to a prohibition it's also a promise you know in in our verse here we're seeing about how like lo sounds like sounds like a lota set right it sounds like something you shouldn't do don't put it out um, but he inverts that a little bit, and he says, "Like lo meaning it it won't be put out, and and it connects a little bit to um, part of what I liked um, within the Yerushalmi, this idea that um, how, however small that flame might feel, however disconnected from it you might be, this yes prohibition, like like don't seek out ways to put it out, like you shouldn't extinguish it. But also that there's an implicit promise there that, that it won't be extinguished, that whoever you are, you still have that within you. I mean, connecting it back, I suppose, um, to, uh, um, to what Rabbi Shatz was saying, this idea that, um, in, in terms of the you, you always have the ability to like seek out Whatever it is you need to seek out within yourself to cleanse um even if it feels very difficult Rebecca i see that you i see you put in the chat, but you have to feed it every morning yes like feed i don't I don't know that it it it's a total like the best midrashim and the best interpretations are like a seamless hook, right? Like back into the original verse. I think this works like 80% of it, right? I don't I don't know that it's totally seamless because you're right, right? If you go back into those verses, you do have the obligation um to be to be piling piling the wood on each morning to make sure that you're you're sustaining the flame. Um I, I don't think I can I can double check quickly now. I don't think he speaks to that piece specifically part of why I said it's not exactly a shot read and I'm still going to like take take the nugget of Torah in there and run with it right I do still think it's it's a lovely concept um to be to be playing with particularly through the lines of I'll, I'll I'll offer that and pause there
2: any thoughts on that before we move to a different a different angle no um, I will, I will share my screen and add, um, a bit onto that. It's interesting when we didn't share these sources with each other, but it's interesting when we were talking right before and I said, I'm not focusing on fire and Rav Shapiro said that I am focusing on fire, uh, and not on the idea of tamid. And yet some of the, <laughs> some of the ideas do overlap, even if those aren't the concepts that we're focusing on. So... Um the thing to me that was particularly interesting goes back to I think it was Jay's point of the nair Tamid, right? Why do we have a Ne'ar Tamid? What's the what's the significance? What's the reason? Uh though it did come up earlier on in probably Parshat Truma, though I don't actually remember if that's where it comes up the first time. Um though it comes up before, you know, what is what's What's the significance of it? We have it today, right? It's clearly something that continued on, whereas other things have been left sort of to the wayside. So here are the verses again. Let me just move my screen a little bit so I can see you and the verses. Um and Ibn Ezra comments on both of these verses, one right after the other. And I found his two comments to be quite interesting. One of the things I really love about Um, Torah commentary is that if you just read one commentator all the way through the Torah, you would almost have, does anybody know the book, um, Something from Nothing? It's a children's book. It's like a, it's about a.
1: It about in about eight different forms from PJ Library. Yeah,
2: so I have I have, I have
1: I have lots of extras if anyone wants a copy. It's a lovely tale, and I have about forty five different versions
2: of it. So it's a beautiful story that um, a grandfather is helping a grandson create something from a blanket, and or maybe not from a blanket to begin with. Maybe it becomes a blanket. I haven't read it. A one.
1: blanket, and then it's a jacket, and then it's a sweater, and then it's a vest, and then it's a tie, and then it's a handkerchief and then, it's, uh, it uh, no and then it's a button, and then oh no, he lost the button. Okay, and you so, can't make something from nothing, but I he made a story. Thank you, Denise.
2: So thank you. That was a lovely recap of the story, and the story actually doesn't matter at all, except for at the bottom of the book, <laughs> the um the author created these little mice that do things with the scraps. And so while the grandfather and the child are getting rid of pieces of the item, and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller in the story, on the bottom, these little mice are doing something with it that that they're making it into. And it's a really beautiful way of thinking about our commentators on the Torah that they take a little piece and they grow it into something that was really little in the Torah, but is now becoming its own thing. I'm completely ignoring Rabbi Shapiro, so we're just gonna move on. I'm um, just
1: picturing all the mafarshim as like little tiny mice, like in Cinderella, like having conversations the about te- the Torah.
2: It's the way that I teach kids the importance of commentators. I think it's re- I think it's a really amazing. If you've never seen the book, you should get it. It's like a dollar, you should get it. And you should also check out the mice that no one ever pays attention to at the bottom.
1: And you should also make sure to rewatch Cinderella.
2: So Ibn Ezra, which has nothing to do with this. Ibn Ezra comments um, on verse five by saying, this verse repeats the fire. <laughs> the fire on the altar will be kept burning in order to add, it must not go out right? And then in Ibn Ezra adds, bayom, during the day. So what Ibn Ezra is saying here is that the reason that that it repeats this phrase that Rebecca picked up on is to, to really uh, emphasize in this verse that it can't go out whatsoever, right? It needs to continually be fed and um, and uh, the coals need to be continuously stoked and all of those things, uh, but that it, this is for some reason only during the day, which is obviously very interesting because if a fire can't go out, when nighttime strikes, it also needs to stay on. So is Ibn Ezra trying to describe that we need to make sure that it stays, quote, on as opposed to during the nighttime, when we assume that it stays. I don't know, we're not gonna get into that, but I, I do wanna just point that out. And then Ibn Ezra says, on the next verse, a fire must continually be kept, that's the verse, H tamid tukkad The point of this apparently redundant verse is to add the word continually. So he changes his, or not changes, he he adds on to his commentary from the verse above to say, and now we say this same phrase again that I just commented on, but to make sure that I can add the word tummied continually, as opposed to just during the day, it now needs to be happening all of the time. Denise, you have a question about that? Denise? Okay. You raised your hand, but maybe you don't have a question. Okay. So... This this part here on Haimek Davar, um, which we can see. Someone just doodled on my screen. That's funny. Um, Hi. I'm sorry. I, I think I did the doodle. I touched something. I don't know what happened. Okay. Do um, you have a question? You had your hand up.
0: Yeah. It just seemed to me like it was interesting because you don't need fire at the daytime in the same way that you need it at night. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's a great so, point so yeah that's all yeah yeah no great sorry about
2: the doodles and I don't know how to make it go away now either it's fine it won't go away sorry my screen it's totally fine I <laughs> sorry. Uh, that it was a fun thing to to do um okay so Haimek Devar says um and actually Rabbi Devorah Weisberg who you might all know Rabbi Shapiro <laughs> please stop <laughs> okay um Raidvora Weisberg, who works at HUC here in LA, so you might you might know her. She and her husband also sometimes come to Library Minion. Um, Robin Neil Shylin, who was one of my first Mishnah and Gemara teachers, says Perpetual fire, right, so this Eshtamid, even when there is no burnt offering on the altar, in any case, the fire on the altar should not go out, but rather should be kept going by wood. What's so interesting about this, and she did the translation, those were the words of the Hamekdavar, but the, she did the translation. What's so interesting about this is that we don't often think about what's happening to this fire if it's not in use, And so the the Haimek Davar is saying this, it needs to continuously be going, even if no one's using it. And I love thinking about how that connects so much to our own sanctuaries, right? That even when our sanctuary isn't being used, it's set up, the Sidurim are in there, it's ready for use, but we keep it in such a way that it is ready, even if it's not in use in the moment Um, and there are many other things obviously that we could we could equate that to it's not just our sanctuaries but the way that we could make perpetual fire into a metaphor that there are things in our lives that we just keep almost like ready to go even if we're not using them in that moment Um, the next piece i want to raise from this the magid of mesrich uh says that instead of reading what are you excited that I'm reading the Magid of Mesrich?
1: You're, you're a Hasidic again.
2: Uh, uh, just, you know, I I pop into the Hasidic realm every once in a while. The Magid of Mezrach said that instead of reading the phrase, it shall not be put out, we can read it, it will be put out out the knot not just hold on that's not english obviously it takes the jew past the threshold of commitment where she or he stands in hesitation and says no the fire of infinity descends upon a person only when they have perfected their own fire and gone to the limits of their spiritual abilities a person is answered by god not when they resign themselves to despair but when they have reached the frontier of their own capabilities so like many other things in Hasidic Judaism, this like sort of makes sense and you kind of listen to it and you're like, okay, I get it. And then all of a sudden you don't get it. So the, the piece that I take away from this, I'll just speak for myself and then would love to hear what others are taking away, is that this idea of an tamid is not such that the, that the fire was used for warmth or always for sacrifices or really even to have it going all the time, but rather it was a way for there to be something constant that there was always a constant. And in this case, it was fire, which as Rabbi Shapiro pointed out before, you could, you could drosh out into many different, uh, ways, but that we think of our own souls of our own, um, uh, like motivations and inspirations as also something that you need to stoke, right? A fire that needs to that's there, but that can get bigger when you are when you are excited by something or can can be a little teeny tiny pilot light um, when you are not. And so this this Hasidic piece just reminded me when I read it that this Ash Tamid was also in the middle of this mishkan, potentially a way for us to remember that we get to be that perpetual fire that we actually have to figure out what it is that we can keep going and we can ignite to continue using these words, um, that that will allow our connection to that Mishkan to remain. And so we actually are the ones who are allowing it to be tummied. It's not that the ash needs to be something continual, but that we need to be the ones who, who keep it going and keep it um, aflame.
1: Interesting. I, I'm, I'm forgetting where I saw it, but as I was collating stuff, I didn't put it in the pieces that um, Mm -hmm. I compiled, but I feel like I saw something that was exactly the opposite because it seems like the Magid of Mesrich's interpretation is that it needs to descend from God. But I feel like I saw something that said the opposite which was basically that what's what's noteworthy is that the fire needs to be generated. Like the the goal of some of these sacrifices is, is that the fire completely consumes the offering, right? That it needs to be fully taken up. But what's indicated in these verses is that in order for that fire to consume the offering, first, the fire needs to be generated by the people. And it's only when there's that sort of action taken by the people doing the service, does it, Lead to the fire coming from God, like the 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 fire that God might generate is always there, but like we have to take the action first, hmm. and only then is the um, is like the action complete. But it but it's contingent on us taking that action first; otherwise, otherwise it can't happen. I wish hmm. I wish I knew where I had read that, but I know I read it somewhere uh, in prepping. I like
2: through. it; it's like exactly the opposite, but I really like it. Correct. Yeah. Anybody else have any? thoughts on this or your own interpretations of what an aish tamid could be? Also interesting, by the way, while you're all thinking, it's not a nair tamid, it's an aish tamid, right, which is, which is actually very different, right? An aish is seen as something, something quite big that can kind of get bigger or get smaller, whereas a nair uh, is always pretty small, right? It's not a torch, it's not, it's not anything that that is going to uh, produce very large flames or heat. It's just one one little nair. That's why we use it for bedikat Hametz, as Rabbi Shabir was talking about before. Uh, so it's interesting that the word is aish and that we've we've then changed it to be nair. Any thoughts on this? No. Okay, Rabbi just, Shabir, I like the
0: I like what you said about the, the Hasidic idea. I thought it was it's nice.
2: Yeah. Uh, thank you. I mean, I, I didn't. All I did was find it, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it is nice. I mean, it's a nice way of at least connecting to something that feels so out of our own bounds, right? A lot of this is just so beyond us um, in terms of our own practice, or even something that even if it was uh, accessible to us, we might not be so excited about. Um, but this seems to be something that we can be very connected to, and uh, whether that's through that spiritual connection or just, Generally, it's something that we that we have and we use. Robert Shabir, did you have any anything else that you wanted to to share on these verses?
1: I have other pieces that I'm happy to, but if there's if there's a few of a burning desire, okay, uh, oh, very good. Just to uh, to share something that you found, I'm happy to defer.
2: No, I don't. I have I have like a very technical piece which I don't really want to end on because it doesn't give so much like thought. Um, So if you have something that would, that would be a better ending piece, I'm happy to listen and share my thoughts on it.
1: Sure. Um, Which one of these do I want? Um, The cat is snoring very loudly as well, which I've not, I've gotten used to my kids screaming, but I've not yet gotten used to the cat snoring. So, you know, I'm, I'm continually laying up new challenges for myself. He snores very loudly. Just as a quick side note, I sleep very deeply. Like I sleep through kids screaming. I I sleep very deeply. Sarah wakes up. I woke up from the cat snoring at like four a.m. and I had to go like sleep. I, the cat was snoring so loudly, very unusual. Trying to figure out for years what would wake me up that wouldn't wake Sarah up. Snoring cat, which would also be a great band name. Um, there, there's a piece that I saw filtered through. Um, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, I love Hashalom. Um, I'm actually, uh, building my sermon on Sunday as him as a, as a focal point. I love his, if anybody doesn't have, uh, the Sachs Haggadah, it's, it's so good. Even if you don't get in time for your Seder, it's still, it's still excellent Pesach, uh, Pesach reading. It might be my favorite. And, um, I'm particularly glad to be reading it this year in his memory. Um, he pulls a, a piece from Reb Schnur Zalman who, di- who makes a point of naming that there were actually um, – there there were two altars in the sanctuary. There was the outer altar and the inner altar. And what they say – what he says is – I mean, I guess the two of them are kind of saying it together um, – that the altar on which there's the Ishtamid was actually the outer one. And it's interesting because, like, I was talking about the Sat Emet piece, piece who's, who's working with this idea – of like that, that each time it is something internal to us. Um, but what Sachs says on on this on this note is that for the Jew, this means that the fire of his love for God must be outward, open and revealed. It is not a private possession to be cherished subconsciously. It must show in the face that he sets towards the world. Right. So if you if you think about how that's all set up, right? if you think about the sort of intricacies of what the the whole. Contraption looked like right that there were two different altars, and this eternal flame is on the outward one, um, which which is a bit at odds with what the Svat Emmet was saying, at least metaphorically. And this idea that if you're thinking about where should that eternal flame be burning, um, it it's outside, and that if we think about all the different layers, a lot of the other pieces that I saw talk about um Ishtamid as as like Torah study and the importance of of continuing to learn and it's not enough to just learn once. You have to go back and learn it again and again right. Um, but that's not something that's just for you, right? The the Ishtamid that I build, stoke, sustain, um have within me, uh per Rebecca's comment that that is always there, even if I'm not throwing wood on it, right? But but that's that's something that isn't isn't um isn't meant for me and me alone, um, which I think is also, you know, heading, (laughs) heading into base right. You can't, you know, there, there's, I, you know what I miss Rabbi Schatz. I miss going into grocery stores and seeing like the Jewish holiday displays, with like all of the like random, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's, you know Passover so here's all your Passover food with like matzah and horseradish but it's also like you know random items that you know they, and, and somehow also the store displays for like Rosh Hashanah are the same as Pesach I, I miss that I miss that about grocery stores um, although maybe they still do it I don't know you went into grocery did Trader Joe's have that out does they, Trader Joe's have matzah they
2: still, okay wow they still do, <laughs> they still do it Trader Joe's might have matzah. I don't know. I didn't look for it. Um, This has been great. You should continue on. Okay.
1: Yeah. All of that to say, I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to add one more piece to wrap up, and then Rabbi Schatz is going to to tie all of these thoughts together beautifully into a pre-Passover blessing for us, our community, and the world. setting something outward right that it that it's not something for just me as an individual but when i think about what i'm trying to sustain and what i'm trying to build um that that i should be bringing it out it's it's not just right religious practice spiritual practice even um isn't something that's just for me for the sake of like my own connection it's something that i i work to bring out into the world and i think i think that there's a power to that um that's that's nicely illustrated through that metaphorical construct the last thing that I'll add, um, Rebecca, I was going back into the Svat Emet piece to, to see if uh, he names out like the wood piece specifically. No dice, um, but in Olam Haba, you and I can ask him about that together, and oh, what a good time the three of us will have! Um, but what are green? Oh, yes, Rebecca, you don't want to come talk to the Svat Emet in Olam Haba with me? It's going to be awesome. We'll
3: see. Depends what you're on. <laughs> right. Um. I just want, what I, going through all these pieces that you both gave, I think the thing that actually stands out to me the most is that the fire is something that doesn't sustain itself at all, physically. Mm -hmm. It's really something, there is no such thing as, and also, so there is no eternal flame, right? Not in love, not in religion. It always needs feeding, and definitely not in the physical world, so... Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll argue with them if we're both on the same drug or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 we'll, so we'll have, so we'll have a good time. Di- oh, Joanna! Oh, we're making Joanna nervous that she's not ready. For- what? Joanna, you're nervous that you're not know, ready. for
2: Talking about the displays that you had as your little tangent. Oh, got it, got it, got it.
1: All right. Well, we're all in this pre-Pesach mode, a little bit distracted, some of us more than usual. Um, the last thing I'll say, Rebecca, to, to your comment for, for what you and I can talk to the spot I met about together. Um, he may, Art Green, who's ultimately, even though I might read a piece of the spot I met in the original once in a while, usually I use Art Green's translation. Um and Art Green makes the point that that I had kind of missed in looking at these verses. He makes the point that the opening verses of Parshat Tzav are recited in the Sephardic and Hasidic prayer rite each morning as part of the introduction to Tefillah. Yeah. Right? That that these verses, which we are casting about a bit to find, you know, pieces on, are actually integral um, to the traditional liturgy for a substantial percentage of the Jewish world. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's, it, in some ways it strikes me as the medium is the message, right? If these are verses about something that you should be doing consistently, it makes sense that you would recite them consistently, right? That, that makes sense to me. Um, and I think also speaks to this idea, you know, that we have moved from, right we we no longer offer sacrifices sacrifice has become prayer and and we were talking more about this last week this idea of how do we um sustain connection with rituals that have substantially shifted if not completely shifted um and this idea then then kind of makes sense to me and makes me feel a little more at ease with how metaphorical you know i i've, I've gone in terms of talking about the flame um and then thinking about how how that that Chain keeps going sort of uh, in its way, even as it continues to uh, morph and shift around. So it was it was a nice uh, highlighting of how these verses do hold um, some form of permanence within within liturgy, even as they seem to be somewhat um, distant for our own current practice. So I thought that that was worth noting, too. Rabbi Schatz is going to bring it home and tie it all together magnificently.
2: I also love that the, uh, that if we think about, I saw the outside inside piece as well, I, that if we think about it as being on the outside, it's also more accessible. It's not just something that's insular. And I love the, it's not how our ner tamid works now, right? You have to be in the sanctuary to actually see it. Um, I love the idea that a ner tamid would be on the outside of something, um, so that people feel like they're actually being invited in, in a certain way, that it's like, we're always open kind of sign on the outside, um, which I think is is really beautiful. Um, so <clears throat> Rabbi David Wolpe, who many of you know from being the rabbi at Sinai Temple, uh, I'm lucky enough to have him uh, as a good family friend of ours wrote a really beautiful piece in the Jerusalem Post actually yesterday on this Parsha. And I haven't had the chance to read the whole article, though it's not long, but Passover. Um, but uh, the the last paragraph here, it's called, um, I will tell you what it's called, and you can look it up. It's called Two Kinds of Forever. And when I saw that, I was like, ugh, I wish I had time to read this <laughs> for our class, but I only saw it this morning. Um, but this is his final paragraph. When Moses approaches the burning bush, he sees a fire that does not consume. It is a reminder that a life lived solely on the plane of passion is fleeting and destructive. Rather we must re- my phone. Rather, we must reground ourselves, keep the flame in check, make sure it does not consume us. Jews are the people of the Nertamid. The ever-renewable flame. There have been times in our history when it flickered and seemed in danger of going out. Our faith and history teach us, however, that even in times when the glow seems dim or the day dark, the light will shine again. Um, and I would just add to that, though obviously written beautifully, um, I would just add to that that I think this idea of it needing to be something that we add to, that we're the ones who keep it going, that we're the ones who have to enter inside to see it, um, that we also need to be part of that, that we keep things um, alive. And even when it's harder, or even when it's the second year of Passover in a pandemic, that we do find those ways to make the light grow and um, and uh, and be available for all of us to take advantage of. So, That is my wrap up. Um, Thanks for being on this crazy ride today that I take no responsibility for. Um, (laughs) But next week,
1: some responsibility.
2: Next week, I do take responsibility for having the class. Next, I
1: needed to like maximize the Shapiro because I'm out next week, so I needed to cram twice the Shapiro in for this week to sustain.
2: yeah. Yeah. Oh, good.
1: That fire. Yeah. Lest it go out when I'm not here next week. Okay. I also, for everyone's enjoyment, there's a great Matis song called Eshtamib that I put in the chat if folks oh, wanna rock out to that.
2: Right, so next week we will have class. It won't be the next Parsha in our Torah. We will be talking about the splitting of the sea. Um, so very apropos to Passover, but not the next Parsha in our, uh, in our canon. But uh, yeah, I'll be joined with a few rabbinical students, which will be really fun in conversation to hear what they get out of the story. Uh, I hope that you will join us. And an, a happy early birthday to the one and only Rabbi Matthew Shapiro. Hag everyone.
1: Hag Shabbat Shalom.
0: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.